take your copy of the scriptures, <clears throat> if you would, and turn to Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, <clears throat> continue with the prophet Daniel this morning. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6, <clears throat> excuse me, and before we hear <clears throat> the reading of God's word and the preaching, let's ask his, let's ask his blessing upon uh, the ministry of the word and the reception um, of that word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we come again um, in humility, humbling ourselves before you. <clears throat> Our great God and King, we, uh, we bask in knowing the privilege of your presence uh, that you have promised as we worship you uh, together now. And we thank you, uh, dear Lord, that you are holy and that you purge out from us all that is unholy and unclean. And that you are gracious and able to deal with us in our sin and in our filth. And we ask, Lord, receive our thanks. We thank you that you're merciful and able indeed to lift us up out of our weakness in our frailty, and that you're strong and good and true and gracious and tender and holy. And Lord, we pray that as we turn again to you, and we turn again to your word, and as we listen to every word that comes forth from your mouth, that you would place that word <clears throat> in all of its effectiveness through the Spirit in our hearts, that there we may begin to love you in new ways, and place in our minds that we would understand your ways better. Touch our wills by this, your word, that we may submit our wills gladly, willingly to your perfect wisdom and sovereign will. And Lord, that all of our life to the effect that we may learn how to glorify, to enjoy you forevermore. And so we come again to you at this time and we ask, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6. <clears throat> Let's give your full attention. This is the word of our God. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three officials, <clears throat> of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king may suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials, satraps and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. <clears throat> then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors, 
are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said to the king concerning this injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no junction or ordinance that the king establishes shall be changed. <clears throat> then the king commanded. Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing may be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. And he came near to the den where Daniel was and cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad And he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. 
for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So far the reading of God's holy inspired word. May he add his blessing upon it uh, now as it is preached. Well, if you were to take a poll regarding uh, texts that are well-known, believers and unbelievers alike, um, this chapter perhaps would be the most known, well-known tale, incidents uh, in all of Scripture. When children hear the story right, about the lions, <clears throat> uh, they hear so and they are scared for Daniel. Perhaps they're worried for the lions. Uh, some little boys, when they hear this cheer, when the enemies get eaten right, by the lions, and the more sensitive uh, children are terrified and sad for them. Lives are lost after all. But what does it mean? What is going on here in this story? What is God doing? What is he telling us? What is he telling us throughout time? His people, the people of his community that belong to him, his sons and daughters. Uh, Sadly, some adults, when they hear this, they brush it off as merely a myth or a child's tale with no more value than that. Or they see it as uh, a moralistic tale to teach, dare to be a Daniel, be strong, be brave. And if you do so, you two will be saved. Well, we'll see today that Daniel 6 provides something more, something more than simply an example of how God deals with suffering believers or how we are supposed to stand firm under trials like Daniel. It is actually a picture, something far greater. It is a picture, something far, far more glorious than any of that. So let's look in faith at this text and what the Lord has for us here why he has preserved this for us, and how this instructs us, his people, even today uh, in 2022. Um, Daniel, again, is well-known, Daniel 6. And it's an important chapter, right? We look at the flow of the text, the flow of the, the structure of Daniel so far. Um, Daniel 6, is there's a lot many parallels. It is indeed parallel with chapter 3, right? Chapter 3 was that account when Daniel's three friends refused to worship the golden image, this huge image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and their punishment, of course, for refusing to do so is that they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But they're protected and preserved, you remember, by the angel of the Lord. And we see that here too. God's display in full effect for his people in exile. Their God hasn't checked out, we see here. We see that he can and does preserve his people. He is present and he is powerful in the lives of his people. The Lord did it then, and he does it here as well in chapter 6, right? He did it under Nebuchadnezzar and under Darius. And we see here that kings and kingdoms rise and fall according to God's decree, according to God's providence, according to his sovereign control in the workings of the world. But that God, God Almighty, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who can thwart his hand? Who can turn it back? Of course, no man and no king. And as we move from chapter 5 into chapter 6, this transition we see of kingdoms, right? From uh, the Babylonian kingdom under Belshazzar to the Medo-Persian kingdom under King Darius. 
And this was exactly what God said would happen, if you recall. This is what was told when Daniel gives the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. Chapter 5 ended with Daniel being made, you'll recall, the third highest person in the Babylonian kingdom. Right, the end of Daniel chapter 5, uh, verses 30, 31 says this, That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Right, and then Daniel 6 opens up, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king should suffer no loss. This, this is likely, this no loss is a reference to revenue, right? an accounting, tax kind of a thing. But chapter 6 begins by reminding us that Daniel, who Daniel is, his person and his character. right? He is God's man. He is a faithful man. We read in verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And like in chapter 2, we see that it's not Daniel's personal ability in and of himself that allowed him to interpret the dreams, but the grace of God working through Daniel. And Daniel affirms this again and again, and he points away from himself to the Lord Almighty. And he is a picture for us of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, sanctifying us, making us more and more like Christ, our Savior. <clears throat> the king has plans for Daniel because he sees that Daniel is different, right? The King Darius, that is. Notice verse 4, Then the high officials, as we continue, and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any faults because he was faithful and no error was found in him. And we see something here of the people of God to the world. God's people should carry with them the aroma of Christ into the world and all around them. They should bear the accent and stylings we should of our, of our true home country. Right? We should live the ethic of our true homeland, even here in this pilgrim land, in our morality, our ethics, and our living and we indeed should be a peculiar people to the world. Peculiar. Not for being weird or intentionally off-putting, right? But because of our joy in adversity, in suffering, in all of our life. And we should have a peculiar love about us as well. Right? A peculiar love that is unlike the world. We read of the ancient church <clears throat> describing the believers at that time in the first century. They knew them, we read, by their love. We knew them by their love. And so being in control of ourselves in a world that's out of control and out of its mind and championing being out of control and out of the mind, God's children should be peculiarly grounded and stable among all people, ready to confess, ready to forgive, ready to reconcile. And our love should spill out when the world collides with us and we with it. Brothers and sisters, we will experience it's true, and uh, we all know this. We will experience all kind of pressure and heat in our lives. And those pressures can put us on the ground, <clears throat> on our backs, or make us shine. Rather, make the Lord's glory shine through us. And the pressures that Daniel went through 
this high-profile exile in a hostile land, Daniel, who rose through the ranks, they gave occasion, this, this hostility, the pressures, for the Lord to shine through him. Daniel stood up and Daniel stood out as he submitted and bowed himself before the Lord. Uh, but Daniel's peculiarity and his godliness wasn't something that his peers admired. Right? They didn't look up to him for this. Remember also his position surely was a source of anger to many of them. Throughout the course of his time in Babylon, he had, they had been humiliated right, through, by the Lord through him. <clears throat> and this is often the case, right? The things that we do or that we do not do uh, because we know the will of God and then we want to please him and live lives that he loves out of gratitude for the salvation that he's given us, for the life that he's given us, those things are very often things that the world despises and sees as worthy attacks, right? They are targets for the attacks of the world. <clears throat> and this is not uncommon to God's people, right? The Apostle Peter, <clears throat> when explaining the wondrous and glorifying home that is waiting for us, that is guarded for us, and we are guarded for it, when he's talking about this, <clears throat> uh, for those who belong to Jesus, he says this, in this you rejoice, right? That you're saved for it and that it is guarded for you. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? He goes on, 1 Peter 1, chapter 7, uh, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ, right? So this isn't uncommon. This is throughout. And the Apostle uh, uh, Peter gives full expression to this. But we see that Daniel's faith shines in the heat that's brought about in his life. In this plot constructed by the other officials in the kingdom <clears throat> is that heat in this instance. And when they saw Daniel distinguish himself above them, and when they heard that the king, verse 3, planned to set him above the whole kingdom, <clears throat> they sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But as we saw in verse 4, they were unsuccessful. Right? Again, why? Because he was faithful and no error was found in him. And so they set a trap. They set a trap and they said, we shall, find, we, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God, verse 5. And this is that old, of course, demonic scheme of using God's own word against his people. Right? That, ancient, that ancient harassment, right? Even in the garden, Genesis 3. Uh, has God said, has God truly said? He says, there in the garden. And when Satan tempted Jesus... What was his tactic, right? He, again, he twisted God's word and quoted it to Christ. Christ, of course, answers back um, and doesn't cave like they did in the garden. But in the same vein, in verse 6 of our text this morning, it says these high officials and satraps came by agreement, or uh, can be translated, came thronging, thronging. This is connected to the word we read about in uh, Psalm 2 that talks about the nations raging, raging. Right, so there's something more, um, there's something more intense going on here than they disagreed and came. Right, they came thronging, raging to the king. 
And their scheme was, verse 7 says, the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions. And they appeal to his power, right? And they appear to his hubris, perhaps, and they implored the king to sign the document. It says, because according to the Medo-Persian law, the king's decree cannot be changed or revoked. Uh, verse 8. And Darius signs the document and the injunction. And it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, what does he do? It says, he went to his house where he had his windows open towards Jerusalem. <clears throat> right? And we have, so we have the devil, we have Darius, and we have Daniel. And Satan uses Darius's men to keep Daniel from praying or to spring the trap, right? It says, but the people of God <clears throat> are not to do this, right? We just, over and over in scripture, the people of God are called to obey God rather than the decree and injunctions of a king, rather than men that obey God, rather than when it comes to worship, right? This is the priority that we see from Daniel, the priority he has in prayer. And it goes on and it says he had his windows and his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem, right? Why Jerusalem? <clears throat> Jerusalem was where the temple was and it was where the place of, for God's presence, right? It's where God's presence was displayed for the people of God there. And Daniel's in Babylon. But Daniel knows that Solomon, right? King Solomon, he saw the day when the people would sin and be carried away from Jerusalem. In 1 Kings 8, 46 to 51, Solomon sees this day and he sees, says, yet if they repented and prayed to God towards their land from the faraway place, from exile, Solomon said, asked that God would hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and forgive the people and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. Right, so Daniel knows this, and so this is his practice, <clears throat> as was foretold long ago. Um, and of course, for us, it's no longer appropriate for us to pray towards Jerusalem. What direction do we now pray in? Right. What's the direction that we pray towards? Well, it's upwards, right? It's heavenward, where Christ is, seated with the Father, seated and reigning in glory. And Christ himself tells, uh, it's, we read that he does this very thing towards heaven, right? In John 11 and John 17, it says Jesus lifted his eyes to his Father in heaven. <clears throat> and so we see Daniel's priority in prayer. He's going to do it. He won't be thwarted. He'll obey God rather than man. And his posture in prayer, right, towards Jerusalem, towards the presence of God. And then we see his practice in prayer, right? See something of his practice in prayer here. It says he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Then notice it says, as he had done previously, right, as he had done previously. <clears throat> this wasn't a response to the heat and the concern in his life. It was his practice, Right? The discipline of life, a praying life, a life of prayer. Right? Remember our study from a number of years ago. This is uh, the warp and woof of the Christian and the Christian's practice, right? It would be a praying people. And this whole plot, right, we have to understand, is based on this fact that Daniel was a praying man, a man of prayer, uncompromising, and they knew this. And so this was key in the, in the trap that they had 
set in the scheme that they had laid out. And we see as well in this, right? It says, as he had done previously. This means he didn't start praying when the heat came into his life, right? His prayer wasn't uh, motivated, wasn't a response of this heat newly in his life. Rather, he prayed when he was in peace to make ready for the heat and the crisis when it came. And we too, uh, brothers and sisters, are to be a people of prayer. A people of prayer, right? We are told to be constant in prayer, to pray, to pray without ceasing, to pray at all times. And remember that quote that we talked about, that we titled the class, right? Prayer is the vital breath of the Christian soul. Right? So prayer is, it's the Christian's vital breath, prayer, our communion with the Lord as those united to and committed to our Lord, not praying is like not breathing, right? It should be that unthinkable to us. To have life, we must breathe. And to be spiritually healthy, we must pray. We must be a praying people. And so to make prayer a priority, we are to pray with the proper posture, right, towards heaven, to Christ, or to, to the Father through Christ. And prayer is to be our life's practice. And so we read that these men first, again, came in agreement to spy on Daniel and they found Daniel as they knew that they would. Verse 11, making a plea and petition before his God, right? Their plan had worked. Then they came near to the king and reminded the king concerning his injunction in verse 12. And, and Darius upheld that injunction. And he said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And so they set up all that. They made the scheme. They set up all the pieces. Everything was in place. The trap was set for Daniel and for the king, really, as well. And then the final piece we see in verse 13. They come to the king and they tell him, Daniel pays no attention to you, O king. Daniel pays no attention to you. And there's a problem. There's a problem. <clears throat> Daniel is the one who Nebuchadnezzar put in a high place. The one Belshazzar made number three over all the kingdom. The one whom Darius made one of the three overseers and whom he planned to put over all the kingdom. And we read the response of Darius as he's caught in this trap. And he, it says we read that Darius was what? It says he was much distressed. He's much distressed. And then the story shifts to the matter of saving Daniel. Right? Darius, it says, set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. But those wicked men, verse 16, says they came by agreement to the king to remind him, uh, king, you remember, it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance of the, that the king establishes can be changed. And so verse 16 goes on. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and he was cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Incredible words, brothers and sisters. Incredible. And it's amazing what the text says next, right? Daniel 17 and a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. 
And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. It says Darius fasted all night. And in the morning, he went to the den and he cried out, it says, in a tone of anguish. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then the response comes to the call of Darius. Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And it goes on, the king was exceedingly glad. And he, can't, he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then the king goes on and it says, he commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den, they and the children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. <clears throat> uh, then King Darius, it says, wrote a decree, or wrote to all the peoples, um, nations and languages that dwell on all the earth. It says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28. So this Daniel, it says, prospered during the reign of Darius. Remember his, uh, uh, his median name in the reign of King Cyrus the Persian. Darius' royal name, his royal throne name. And as we reflect <clears throat> on this account of history, God's protection and his provision in the suffering of his servant Daniel. We are blown away at what God has done. We should be blown away. His care, his power, and the wonder of his care. And at the same time, we might wonder, <clears throat> why doesn't God provide rescue and protect all of his children? Surely, God does not deliver all who have heat and crisis in their lives. Haven't God's faithful people right, suffered terribly over the centuries, sometimes literally to the mouths, at the mouths of lions or being burned alive in fire? Aren't believers, we may ask, still suffering terribly around the world even today, even at this moment? Where's God in these situations? Where's this great God who protects and saves the three from the fire and save Daniel from the lions. Are believers that still suffer terribly around the world less important than they? Well, to answer these questions, and these are questions that we naturally should have because there's heat in your life. There's crisis in your life. And to answer this, we need to see that Daniel 6 provides something more, right? as we began with something more than simply a model of how God deals with suffering believers, or that we are supposed to be like Daniel and stand firm under trials. That's not it. It's more than that. Because if that's all it is, we're just left to die, crushed under the weight of the reality of our lives, crushed under the weight of our trials, as well as our inability to stand firm. 
because we will not and we cannot. So what is Daniel? It's not that. Rather, Daniel 6 is foreshadowing in history of the verdict that will be delivered on all believers on the final judgment day. Right? The verdict that we will all receive on that final day. Daniel endured the lion's den safely. Why? Because God judged him and found him not guilty. God's judgment agents, right, the lions, did not harm him. But the unbelievers, those who plotted against Daniel, those maliciously plotting against him, were found guilty and they were crushed by God's judgment. The agents of his judgment, the lions, they and their families, right, horrifying to us, were sentenced to death, death in a foreshadowing shadowing of that final covenantal judgment, like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, like the driving out and extermination of the Canaanite cities, intrusions of that final judgment into time. On the last day, right, it still remains true that all those who are in Adam will be declared guilty and will receive their just punishment. They'll be left in their sins. Well, all those who are in Christ be declared not guilty and they will share in Christ's glory and exaltation. <clears throat> Daniel 6, in addition to that, powerfully points us to this Christ, this Jesus. Like Daniel, you know, Jesus was falsely accused by his enemies and he was brought before a ruler, Pontius Pilate, who sought, what, to unsuccessfully to deliver him from his fate before handing him over to a violent death. Jesus was condemned to die, as was Daniel. He was placed in the earth. His body was placed in the earth. A stone was placed over the opening of that earth. And it was sealed. It was sealed to keep others from messing with it. Daniel and Christ, the tomb and the stone. And when Daniel came out of the lion's den, this is the difference. He comes out alone. Comes out alone. No one else was saved by God's deliverance of Daniel. But when Christ comes forth from the tomb, he was the first fruits of the great multitude we read about of people redeemed through his death from the crushing wrath of God's just judgment. And it is to this Jesus that we look. The Savior who accomplished redemption once and for all time for his people. And we look to him. We look to him for salvation, for life, for satisfaction, for rescue. Right? He delivers surely without fail. But it's far more than a physical rescue and deliverance from earthly heat. It's from deliverance from the heat of God's just wrath because he took that wrath in our place. Right? And we need to get this right. <clears throat> My salvation, your salvation, does not rest on our ability to dare to be a Daniel. Does not rest on our ability to dare to be a Daniel. Rather what? Your salvation rests on Christ's perfect obedience in your place. In your place and in the midst of the, this world full of crisis and heat and pain and losses. That, right, Christ for me is where my peace and comfort is found. It's where peace and comfort alone are found. And in the world to come, that too will be all of my glory and all of yours. If you belong to him, right? The righteousness of Christ 
given to you, given to me, and all those that name his name. And so we cry out, dear Christian, as we go, remember these things. We are reminded through these accounts in history of God's amazing work for his people. And they're not far off things just to read to our children. They, they bear impact on our very lives. They are for you to remind you of these truths. They're so far beyond us. It's only through faith that we can apprehend them and, 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 and appropriate these truths for us in our lives. And so we pray that the Lord would give us faith to believe and to remember and to bow the knee to him. And so we do indeed, brothers and sisters, call out again and again, more of you, Jesus. Give me more of you. I want to love you more. I want to love you most. And so, brothers and sisters, as we go back, back into the world, go with that love. Go with that love that he's shown you, that rescuing, delivering love. And that he died, he was crushed in your place. And you receive all that he merited. Rejoice, give thanks and praise to this Jesus, now and always. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word that you have preserved for us throughout time, for our safety, for our protection, for our assurance, and for your glory. Lord, we pray, help us to believe what you tell us here. Lord, and help us to know with great confidence and boldness, to live life out of that confidence and boldness, knowing that you'll become for us a redeemer and that you've rescued us and united us to yourself, that we've, been, that we've died with you, with, with Christ, and been raised to walk in newness of life. Father, we pray protect us indeed throughout this world and help us to evermore cast our eyes towards you as we pray and we praise as you prepare us in this world and you protect us through this world. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.